Great, hanging in there. Nice. Anybody out there? Hello, hello, hello. <laughs> uh, where are we at? Where are we at? Let me see. Okay, well, we got to a point last week where kind of like the incredible was about to happen as uh, we were in uh, Daniel chapter 5. The incredible thing was here we have this very, very powerful uh, empire, the Babylonian empire that's about to come to an end. In other words, the head of gold, if you guys remember going back when we were covering the book uh, of, of Daniel where he had this 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 dream and and here now we have the head of gold which was the the most powerful kingdom the, the Babylonian kingdom is about to be taken over by the chest and the arms of silver of that of that uh, of that statue which would be now the Medo-Persian empire and it's interesting because again you it's going to start diminishing the the power and the kingdom the strength and and what what seemed like it would never happen is now about to happen the ball is beginning to roll as far as prophecy is concerned in regards to the different empires that would be coming in the future and and what what blows us away about all of this stuff is that Daniel here this young prophet the Lord is using at that time to, to give him insight of, as to what is coming down the line. And so all these things that, that he had seen, that he had prophesied about, are, are about to happen. But it's not so much because he said it, it's because the Lord is the one that revealed it to him. This is the way it's going to go. These kingdoms will come to pass. And Daniel was just the, the instrument that God used. He gave him the wisdom, the understanding to be able to interpret dreams. What is interesting is now that this shift is beginning to happen from one kingdom to another, that one kingdom that has been in place for quite a while, it's interesting because the prophet Isaiah, he would be mentioning by name the king, the king that would be coming from the Medo-Persian Empire. And, and this is what he says in, in Isaiah 44, 28, the last verse of 44 and the first verse of chapter 45, verse 1. And I share this because this happened over a hundred years before it ever came to pass. But this is what the prophet Isaiah said. Who says of Cyrus, he is my shepherd, and he shall perform all my pleasures, saying to Jerusalem, you shall be built, and the temple your foundations shall be laid. Verse 1 of chapter 45 of Isaiah. Thus says the Lord to his anointed, to Cyrus, whose right hand I have held, to subdue nations before him and to loose the armor of kings, to open before him the double doors so that the gates shall not be shut. And so what, what Isaiah was prophesying some hundred years earlier is that there would be a king by the name of Cyrus who would come on the scene. And again, we kind of seen him when we we're going through the book of Ezra, that he would be the one that would command the people to go back and restore what had been torn apart. It's interesting because the prophet Jeremiah, he was one of those prophets that would be taken or or at, at the end of his his prophetic season, 
that's when they were going into captivity. But he says this um, in Jeremiah 27, 6, 7. And now I have given all these lands to the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant. And the beasts of the field I have also given to him, or given him to serve him. So all the nations shall serve him and his son and his son's son until the time of the land of his land comes. And then many nations and great kings shall take him, uh, shall take, shall make him serve them. And so what is happening in our text in Daniel, which would be all this time later, it's now coming to pass. The ball is now rolling. Babylon, God had used in a powerful way to discipline the children of Israel. And now he would bring in the Medo-Persian Empire. He would bring in Cyrus to start taking over this. And he was going going to give him the lands. It's interesting that in verse 7 of of, uh, Jeremiah 27, he mentions him, Nebuchadnezzar, his sons, his son, and his son's son. And that's the guy that we met last week. That his son's son was the one that blasphemed God. And now all of this is now taking, taking shape. Tonight we will see the Medo-Persian in charge. The, the, the Babylonian Empire was conquered on October 12th. 539 BC. And the children of Judah are still in captivity, and they were kind of like the package deal. They, they, they were servants, so to speak, so, so to speak, and they were continued to be servants to the new kingdom. Now, what we see here as we're getting into our text is that, that Daniel now is about 80, 83 years old, and he is still going strong. And I love this man. I have fallen in love with this guy ever since I've, I've read about him a long time. But when I study him, it just gives me that encouragement because he is continuing to do the will of the Lord all these years later. His faith at this point is stronger than ever. And so I love to hear that, that Daniel was one of those guys, and we will see again, as I'll, I will touch on a little later, that from his youth he has followed the Lord and he has not wavered. He has continued to walk with the Lord. He continues to bless the Lord. The Lord continues to use Daniel, and his faith is stronger than ever. And so we're in Daniel chapter 6 this evening. Let's begin in verse 1, and we'll read to verse 9 for a bit. Now it pleased Darius to set over the kingdom and twenty satraps to be over the whole kingdom. And over those three governors, of whom Daniel was one, that the satraps might give account to them, so that the king would suffer no loss. Then this Daniel distinguishes himself, distinguished himself above the governors and satraps, because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king thought, gave thought to, to setting him over the whole realm. So the governors and satraps sought to find some charge against Daniel concerning the kingdom. But they could not find no charge or fault because he was faithful. Nor was there any error or fault found in him. Then these men said, We shall, find, we shall not find any 
charge against this Daniel unless we find it against him concerning the law of God. So these governors and satraps thronged before the king and said thus to him, King Darius, live forever. All the governors of the kingdom, the administrators, the satraps, the counselors, and advisors have consulted together to establish a royal statute and to make a firm decree that whoever petitions any god or man for 30 days except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the decree and sign the writing so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which does not alter. Therefore, King Darius signed the written decree. Now, when we go back to verse 1 here, and we kind of saw a little bit in the last chapter, a guy by the name of Darius, Darius the Mede. And then now it says it pleased Darius. Darius the Mede must not be confused with Darius the first. Darius the first, he would rule years later. He would come a long time later. He would come at about 522 BC and would reign till about 486 BC. Again, what the, the part that we're looking at right now is about 539 BC. Now, the, the name Darius can also, it's not so much the guy's name as it is his position or his, his, his office. And so we can't confuse those two guys. Darius I, who would come later on, is the one that we would see or that we had seen in Ezra chapter 5 and chapter 6. He would be the one that would uh, reign when the temple was being restored and when the Jewish remnant had, had been sent back to Jerusalem. This Darius that we see here was, was probably the name and or the title of the man that King Cyrus appointed ruler of the city of Babylon when they took it over in that year until he himself would take charge, King Cyrus. Now, there's another school of thought that it is possible that this title uh, of Darius was also Cyrus himself. And again, as I was reading and just kind of looking at all these different commentaries and all these different scenarios, that, that who is this guy, Darius, that it's quite possibly the same king as King Cyrus, who came on the scene in the beginning. It could get a little confusing. I'm trying not to make it confusing. But we do know that King Cyrus ruled the Persian Empire from about 559 B.C. to about 330 B.C. or 530 B.C. 559 to Five thirty BC. This what we're looking at right now takes place in five thirty nine BC. So Cyrus is in the picture. So is it him? Is it not him? I'm not quite sure. But we're going to be talking about a guy named Darius the Mede. Okay. It's interesting because even with Cyrus, he had been he had been in power for quite a while, but as the, 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 the king of the Persians. But when they overtook Babylon, oftentimes when we read about Cyrus, especially in Ezra, 
It says that the first year of his reign, well, he had already been in power for quite some time, for about 20 years. But now that he is taking over that whole kingdom, now it's, it's just the time frame sounds a little different. Be that as it may, Cyrus was the, the, the king of Persia over the whole empire. So if there's another Darius, uh, one that comes later, this one can get a little confusing, but we'll just look at this guy's name. Okay, we're there. Confused a little bit, me too. Um, it says, it pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be over the whole kingdom. This one Darius here, his first responsibility was to reorganize the kingdom, the newly conquered kingdom. Again, there had been people, they had been already taking care of that whole region. They had already overtaken it, but it was Babylon, that last part of it that we saw last week that they had finally conquered. And again, most believe that, again, it was so impenetrable that they, they ended up devising a plan to dry up the Euphrates River so they can sneak in and take them over. So now that they've taken, taken them over, they are now starting to organize these new people to be in place. It says that he appointed 20, 120 satraps, which would be like princesses or like a mayor, if you will. They're going to have smaller roles than these other guys. They were to rule the kingdom of Babylon. And then he put three governors or administrators or prime ministers over them, and Daniel would be one of those guys. So again, there's this tier that's happening that, again, they're reorganizing this whole thing. The satraps, they would be res responsible to answer to the three administrators or governors. So about a 40 satraps per administrator that they would have uh, jurisdiction over them. And these guys were, were the guys that were more local. They were the ones that were on the ground. They were, they were taking care of all the small stuff in the cities, in the small stuff, and they would answer to the higher-ups. And they would, they, the higher-ups would, would be overseeing them. So here we have this administration being put in place, and they're taking people from Babylon, using them as well. I'm sure they were bringing in their, old pe their own people, but we see that Daniel is distinguished among all of these guys. Now, Daniel was an exceptional administrator and we know that partly because of his his longtime extensive um, experience under Nebuchadnezzar he served Nebuchadnezzar for almost 40 years if you remember when Nebuchadnezzar again was having all these issues he brought him in and he gave him more and more responsibility to where he was one of his advisors and he helped in the kingdom and what what we see here is that they took notice of him because of his character, because of who he is. Now, it's kind of interesting because he is, if he's in his 80s, 83 years old, you would think that he's done with all of this stuff. But people are impressed with Daniel. Throughout the book of Daniel, Daniel is just something else. And so once again, we see that Daniel finds favor in the sight of these leaders. But what is it about this man? What is it about this guy that, that people just like him so much? This guy carried himself in such a way that people took notice of him. 
Now understand, we're, we're dealing with a heathen nation. These people, they have their other gods. They have all these other things that they do, but they take notice of this Jewish man. They understand, and they probably have, have, have done the, the, the background check on this guy, that he has always carried himself in such a way that he finds favor wherever he goes. And, and wouldn't that be amazing that that would be said of us wherever we go because of our character, the way we handle ourselves, that, that we would not be up and down, in and out, that, that people would go, ah, I just can't trust that guy, man. Calls himself a Christian, but I don't see it, you know, that that, that, that would never be said about who we are, that we would constantly be consistent in the way we carry ourselves. And so whenever we read about Daniel, that he is being raised up, that he is being brought in, it's because people knew him and they knew his character. And there was, not that he was perfect, but he was faultless, if you you understand that, that he wasn't perfect, but man, there was nothing that stuck to this guy. And so whenever he came on the scene, there was something about him. Now, it's interesting because it says that he distinguished himself above all these guys because an excellent spirit was in him. What was that spirit? Well, I would have to say it's the Holy Spirit of God. He, he, he of course, had been seeking the Lord continually and the Holy Spirit of God just continued to continue to, to pour into him and to work with him. And it was almost like because of who he is, people were attracted to him, almost like a, like a magnet. And as I was looking at this again, I'm thinking, are people drawn to us or are they repelled by us? And why is it? Where, where, are, where are we at? Because again, when I'm looking at people like this, you often want to, want to put yourself in that category. It's like, what would people say about me? Am I the kind of person, because of who I am, my character, are people drawn to me or are they repelled by me? And if they're drawn to me, why are they drawn to me? Is it because they see Jesus in me or because I'm a good manipulator, you know? And I could, you know, sweet talk my way through just about anything. Why do, would people be attracted? I, I hope that it is because they see my character and who I am as a Christian, not as a pastor, but as a Christian, that I would carry myself in such a way that people would be drawn that way. On the other hand, if people are constantly being repelled by us, you almost have to ask your que- your, the question, why? Why would they be repelled to us? Now, we understand that not everybody is going to be attracted to Jesus and, and who he is in our life. But if there's a consistency of people just always being repelled against us, why is that? Why does that happen? Because again, some people is like, well, I just tell it like it is, man. And I just preach Jesus all day long and blah, blah, blah. And, and it's like, okay, I mean, is that, is that drawing people or is that turning people away? How is that working for you? Because again, we need to use wisdom. Why was Daniel a man who, who people often look to for assistance? Because I, I believe because they knew that this excellent spirit was ministering to the people. Again, he's working in a, in a non-Christian atmosphere, if you will. He's working with all these heathens. He has people that are above, like the king, who, who looks at this guy and says there's something different about him. Now, again, there's other people that are surrounding him that are kind of his equals. There's people that he is over as well. 
And, and how does he conduct himself with these kinds of people? Now, we will see that some of these people, because of the way he does conduct himself, they are not so much repelled by him as they are jealous of him. And for them, it's almost like we'd rather get him out of the way so we can continue our own agenda and, th and, and do what we want to do. This guy keeps on getting in the way because he does everything right. And he, and, and, and he honors his boss. He honors his king, if, you, if, if I could put it that way. And so there was something that was evident in Daniel's life. And as I was thinking about this, I, I, I put the scripture down in here about the fruit of the Spirit. And for some reason that came to mind where it says in Galatians chapter 5, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And I truly believe that when we are tr truly experiencing or exhibiting the fruit of the Spirit, even though not everybody's going to accept us, people will be drawn to, to people that have love. People will be drawn to people that, that exude joy and peace, that, that are long-suffering and are kind. People that, that, that have a heart of goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, People that, that can control their, their emotions around hard situations. I think people, they want to know what is that about, what is it about you? And so maybe that's why the Lord laid this portion of scripture on my heart as I'm trying to figure out why is Daniel always being propped up? Why is Daniel always a fragrance to people? Even though there's people that, are, that, that not all are going to be drawn, but there's something about this man. There was something different about Daniel, so much so that even among the three governors, the, the king himself gave thought to setting him over the whole realm. Again, trying to capture that, that this guy would be trusted with everything in that region because of who he is, because of the excellent spirit that is within him. The king himself plans to make him responsible for everything. And we almost get the picture, uh, or, or, or it's reminiscent of another man that we've seen in Scripture by the name of Joseph. That, that it seems like, again, with all the bad things that happened in his life, things kept on turning out for the good in his life because of his consistency in the way he conducted himself. So much so that he, he became second in command to Pharaoh only. And he answered to no one else except Pharaoh. And again, we see that a man like Daniel, his, his, he stands out and the king himself is saying, I want to give him the whole kingdom. He will take care of other areas, but I have three governors here and he will be tops over those three and those upon the 120 people. So because of that, <laughs> it created some, fiction, or, or some friction between the other administrators and the 120 satraps. And so it tells us in verse 4, so the governors and satraps sought to find some charge against Daniel concerning the kingdom 
I, I love the fact, what I love about this, is that these guys are trying to find fault. I love that. I, I love the fact that they are checking them out going, we have to find something specific in regards to his job, in, in regards to the kingdom that we can, we can find fault in. That's what people do. I don't know how, how people are with you at your job, wherever you, you are at. If people are jealous because you do what you're supposed to do. You're obedient to what the boss says, you know. Again, going to Ephesians chapter, uh, chapter 5, chapter 6, where it says that we are to serve not as man pleasers, but pleasing the Lord, not with eye service, because we serve God. We're, we're doing what we're doing because of who we are and who we serve, not because of the paycheck and because of what other people might think or, or say about us. And so I love the fact that these guys are trying to find fault. That is what people do. And it shouldn't surprise us when they cannot find any, any fault. <laughs> it should surprise us if they do find fault in the way we conduct ourselves at work. Because we're supposed to do what is right always, no matter what the other co-workers are saying. Especially if you're not the one in charge, um, that you would do what you're hired to do. I love the fact that they're looking for fault, but it says that they could not find any because he was faithful. He was by no means perfect, but he was blameless. In other words, whatever they tried to throw at him could not stick. There was no way that somebody say, yeah, that is who he is. He's always you know, the slacker. He's always trying to get away with. He's always blah, 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 blah. There was nothing that could stick to this guy because he was doing what he was called to do. He was obedient and he was faithful, not so much to the king as he was to the Lord. And because he was faithful to the Lord and doing what he was supposed to do and, and what he was called to do, he was faithful to the guy he served, this unbelieving king. Daniel was faithful to the things that God had called them to do. And I think that that is what we are supposed to do. We are supposed to be faithful to who God is and what he's called us to do. Now, it's interesting because we've already seen in Daniel's life that when the heathen kings, when they, when they made certain rules and certain laws that went against his God, he drew the line himself. And he stood up for certain things that he just couldn't do. But he never made other people get in trouble because of him. He stood his line whether he, he, he got killed or not. He was going to stand, stand up for what was right. Because they knew that they could not trip him up there, they thought, we know where we could or where we would be able to trip him up. And that would be in, in, the, in the arena of serving his God. That if they found something that they could look to, that he would find fault. It says, where is it in verse 6? Against, uh, to find it against him concerning the law of his God. In other words, if there's something religious that we know that he won't cross over, that's where we can get him. 
And so these guys are working pretty hard to kind of make this guy fall. And it says that these guys got together, they went, they, 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 they had an audience with the king, and they said in verse 7, all the governors and all the, of all the kingdom, all these guys, we've gotten together to establish this royal statue. And here we see these lying snakes because they say all the governors, and that's not true. Daniel was not part of this. They were going behind Daniel's back to see how much they could get away with and, and, and to, to present this to the king that all the governors are in on it. Now, you can understand the king. He's just taken over this place. He's, he's setting all these people up. And these people are saying, hey, we have a great idea that nobody will be able to, to, get, uh, to ask re, re, uh, a request of any God or any man except for you. And so you can imagine that this guy's going, man, I can be the center of everything. I could, you know, these guys, you know, are coming to him and they're propping him up and they're flattering him and he is biting. He is taking it. He is, he is allowing this to, to, to play on his heartstrings. Now, what I don't understand is why didn't this king say, well, wait a minute, I don't see Daniel around here. He had already had his eye on him, has raised him up. I don't understand why he didn't go and ask. I need to ask Daniel if he's in on this because that just doesn't sound like him. But he doesn't do that. Again, we should not be surprised when the world and the thing and those in the world come against those who are right or doing right, those who are doing good, and those who are blameless. I thought of these other scriptures that tell us about what, what the world is like and what they do in a lot of ways. In John chapter 1, verses 9 through 13, it says, That was the true light that was given to every man coming into the world. He was in the world, speaking of Jesus, and the world was made by, uh, through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. To those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. A little later in the Gospel of John, chapter 3, verses 19 to 21, it says, This is the condemnation. That light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest their deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light, that his deeds may be clearly seen, that they have been done in God. And the last verse that I have here is from John chapter 15, verse 18, where Jesus says to them, If the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. So we should not be surprised when people like this, as we're seeing, are now conniving, are coming against someone who is trying to do good. So when we are, are out in the world, when we are 
in, 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 in our jobs, even in our homes, and we're trying to live a righteous life, that we would not be surprised when people still try to, to attack us. Even though, again, we're doing what we're supposed to be doing, that, that there are still people who just, for some reason, it doesn't sit well with them, and they will try to destroy. And that's what we see that is happening here. I don't think it's so much that they hated Daniel as they hated that excellent spirit that was within him and what he stood for. Now, we don't have to tell people who we are as far as our walks with the Lord. But we should be an example constantly. And when they come against us, that we understand that it's not so much of who we are, it's who we represent, that, that people would come against us. Because here, Daniel has been doing what, what he has been called to do, and yet they have come against him to, to, to try and destroy him. The great thing about Daniel is that they could not find any fault in him. They knew that he was a praying man. They knew that, that, that he would petition God, and so that's why they're coming and trying to get him to, 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 to get in trouble by the king, by, by coming and asking the king that, that nobody should, should, be, should recognize anybody but him. And so the king signs his decree in verse 10. It says, Now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went home. And in his upper room, with his windows open towards Jerusalem, he knelt down, on his knees three times that day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as was his custom since early days. Then these men assembled and found Daniel praying and making supplications before his God. And they went before the king and spoke concerning the king's decree have you not signed a decree that every man who petitions any god or man within 30 days except you, O king, shall be cast into the, the den of lions? The king answered and said, The thing is true. According to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which does not alter. So they answered and said, uh, and said before the king, That Daniel who is one of the captives of Judah, Judea, does not show due regard for you, O king, or for the decree that you have signed, but makes his petitions three times a day. And the king, when he heard these words, was greatly displeased with himself and set his heart on Daniel to deliver him. And he labored until the going down of the sun to deliver him. Then these men approached the king and said to the king, Know, O king, that the law of the Medes and the Persians does not, uh, that, that no decree or statute which the king establishes may be changed. And so here we have these, these guys who are just conniving, trying to trip up the king because they know that he has a heart for Daniel. And one of the things that I've seen or, or, or I saw through this time here as we're looking at this is the heart that the king has for this man. 
He has such a deep devotion for Daniel. Again, in this short time that, they, that he has gotten in control, and now he, he has gotten close to Daniel. But the other thing that we see here is that Daniel knew that this, this decree had been signed. And so he understands that it is now public knowledge that nobody should request anything from anybody else except from the king, not their God, not another man. So Daniel, knowing this decree, follows his customary practice in going to the upper room because he has set aside time to spend time with the Lord. Even though he was a busy man, even though he was an important man, he spent time praying. Three times a day he would pray. And he prayed to his God. And I love the fact that, that, again, their custom was that they would always pray towards Jerusalem, wherever they find themselves. To this day, some of the Orthodox Jews, wherever they find themselves, they, they, they will figure out where Jerusalem would sit around the world, and they will pray towards, towards Jerusalem. They still do that. And so he knew that he would have to look basically south to, to pray towards Jerusalem. And that's what he did. His prayer was first a prayer of thanksgiving. Even though he knows that there's a decree that might cost him his life, he still thanks the Lord in the midst of what, whatever is going on in the kingdom. He acknowledges the goodness of God towards him and also prays the prayer for guidance and help, for direction. For he, 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 supply, he, he, he makes supplications before the Lord. And so you could, you could see that no doubt this man was a man of responsibility. Be, being in high office, he rested heavily on the Lord that the Lord would give him the wisdom, the understanding. And so he sought the Lord for those things to make the decisions that he had to make. And in this situation, he is praying because he knows that this is what he needs to do. Daniel was more than 80 years old at this time. Again, the year is 539 B.C. When he was 16 years old, 15, 16 years old, is when he was taken captive. For some 66 years or so, this young man has never stopped praying. No matter what was going on in his life, no matter what was going on in the kingdom, he never changed. He never decided, well, maybe I should stop. Maybe I should just go with the flow. He did what was right, and he did it always. He never varied. He never went off. Because he was this old, some think that maybe he was praying for strength, for physical strength, because he needed that kind of strength. It's quite possible, but I truly believe that he was as strong as ever. Maybe not physically, but spiritually speaking, he was as strong as ever. And there was nothing that was going to deter him. Life and death could not stop him. He was going to serve God. He was going to pray. He was going to, to do what he was supposed to do. I think he understood that there was no way that he would go and ask advice or for strength from his king because he knew that his king could not give him that. So he made no attempt to go after the king to ask for, for any of that. If anything, he came to a point in his life where he was going to obey God rather than man. Just like it tells us in Acts chapter 5, verse 29. It says, when these men assembled, 
They knew where he lived. They knew where they would find him. They knew that on this particular time, three times a day, that he would be praying. The word assembled means that they went, they rushed to the room. And they found what they expected. Daniel praying. And I just kind of think that these guys are just a bunch of snakes. Trying to, to, to make someone fall and or... Um, they're, they're just trying to destroy this guy. And so they go before the king. And it's interesting because they work so hard to, to hurt someone. They go so far to ruin someone. And I look at these guys and they sound like a bunch of little tattletales. That they just go after someone to try to hurt what, what they're doing. And they come to him and, and they talk to the king after saying, hey, didn't you do this? Th didn't you sign this law? And they turn around in verse 13 and says, that Daniel, who is one of the captives, and, and, and that's, that's not showing any respect for him. They're saying he's still one of those people. Even though he has a higher office than them, than them they, they, they are dis disdainfully coming against him calling him a captive, an exile, even though he was, yet he is in a high position. And I love the fact that when they come to the king, it says in verse 14, 14 and when he heard this word, these words, he, he was greatly displeased with himself. Probably thinking, I got duped here. <laughs> these guys had set me up because they didn't like the position that I had put Daniel in. Again, there was something about Daniel that this king, he, 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 was, he, he was enamored with in, in, in this. He, he, he liked the way Daniel conducted himself, and now he's stuck between a rock and a hard place, and he fights that whole day trying to figure out how he can turn this law around. And these guys are coming at him saying, you can't change this law because this is what the Medes and the Persians do. They, they, they stick by it and you can't alter it not one bit. And so he tries to overturn this decree. But these snakes will not allow him to do that. And so as the sun goes down, he has to go with what he has written or what he has signed. And then verse 16. So the king gave the command and they brought Daniel and cast him into the den of lions. But the king spoke, saying to Daniel, Your God, whom you serve continually, will deliver you. Then a stone was brought and laid at the mouth of the den, and the, the king sealed it with his own signet ring. And with the signet rings of, or the signets of the lords, that the purpose concerning Daniel might not be changed. Now the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting, and no musician was brought before him. Also his sleep went from him. Then the king arose early in the morning and went in haste to the den of lions. And when he had come to the den, he cried with a lamenting voice to Daniel. And the king spoke, saying to Daniel, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, 
been able to deliver you from the lions. Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the mouth, uh, shut the lion's mouth so that they have not hurt me because I was found innocent before him. And also, O king, I have done no wrong before you. Now the king was exceedingly glad for him and commanded that they should take Daniel up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den and no injury whatsoever was found on him because he believed in his God. What an amazing story. Well, what's interesting is, is that most of us understand the story because of, of Sunday school. And, and, and the kids, you know, we, t- we talk about this, this kind of story, but this actually did happen. It's not some fairy tale. It's not some cartoon. I know we can clean it up a little bit for the kids, but when you look at what's going on right here, we have a man who, who is old in age, but he has remembered that his God has delivered him from so much. Again, as a young man being taken away from his family, being taken into this kingdom, the Babylonian kingdom, and how he has stood firm the whole time. And through it all, God has seen him through. It's almost reminiscent of the story of his friends when they would not bow down to the image and they were cast into the fiery furnace and God delivered them. We, we see the reminiscence here of the same kind of deliverance that he was not afraid. I don't think he was cowarding, 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 cowarding. He wasn't, you know, running from this. He was willing to go for it. He understood what he stood for and whatever happened, he was willing to go for it. And so when the king commanded him to be brought and he was cast in there or about to be cast in there, I love that the king says, your God whom you serve continually will deliver you. What an amazing thing that the king, this man, whether, again, I don't know how much Daniel has talked to him about the Lord or whatever it is, but this king is so bummed out that he has to allow this to happen. And yet he says, your God, whom you serve continually, will deliver you. I don't know what you're facing today. I I, I don't know what, what difficulties are before you right now. I don't know what you're going through that you feel like, man, you're just being tossed in the middle of something that you know you're not going to be able to to get out of. Do you have enough confidence that your God, whom you serve continually, will deliver you? Because again, why wouldn't he? Why wouldn't he deliver us? Even if we have to go through the trial, he could have, he could have protected Daniel and not been thrown into the, the den of lions, but he didn't do that. He allowed Daniel to go in the midst of the lions. These lions were not these cartoon lions. They, they, they weren't these like, oh, they're so nice lions. These guys are hungry lions. Every time somebody got thrown into the den of lions, they never came out of there. This actually was a true story that these lions were always kept hungry. So in situations like this, as soon as they hit the ground, they were dead. They were going to be torn, torn apart. There's things in our lives that we face continually 
that we think there's no way I could get out of this. And, and yet, when we pray, Lord, save me from this. Don't let me go through this. He doesn't stop it. He allows us to go through it. Do you have enough trust that God, whom you serve continually, will deliver you through that trial? I would say that this portion of Scripture, as I have in mind, that you would underline it, that you would highlight it, that you would memorize it, that you would write it somewhere where you will be reminded that your God, whom you serve continually, is able to deliver you. Pin it up somewhere where you know it will be a reminder, a reminder to you that you would understand that, that this is quite a promise that God has made to his people. Do you think Daniel was nervous in any way? I don't. I really don't. He understood the consequences. He, under, he understood what was before him. I am confident that he understood the promise that God would see him through one way or another. Whether he would deliver him out or that he would allow him to sink into eternity. He was not afraid either way. I, I don't think that the king knew exactly what he was saying. I don't think he had as much confidence as Daniel had. He knew that God could deliver him. But he's, man, he was hoping, man, just hoping that that would actually happen. Because when he left there, he could not sleep. His sleep was taken from him. He rose early in the morning, still concerned about this whole thing. And yet... Again, even though he's going through that, he's still going to go and say, Daniel, did your God deliver you? <laughs> Can you imagine when he heard Daniel's voice from, from, from the, the pit, wherever he was at? All of a sudden, he hears this guy say, O king, live forever. What a response. I would have said, O king, get me out of this place. And he shares and he gives God glory and he says, God sent an angel. God, God was the one that protected me. He is the one that took care of me in the midst of all of this. And he was taken out and God delivered him. But understand, God did not deliver Daniel because he was a nice guy. God did not deliver Daniel because he was, he was faithful in some of these things that he was doing. He delivered him because he believed in his God. Verse 24, as we close up here. And the king gave the command, and they brought those men who had accused Daniel, and they cast them into the den of lions, them, their children, and their wives. And the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces before they ever came to the bottom of the pit. Then King Darius wrote to all the people, nations, and languages that dwell in, in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in every dominion of my kingdom, men must tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God. 
and steadfast forever. His kingdom is the one which does, shall not be destroyed. His dominion shall endure forever. He delivers and rescues and he works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth who has delivered Daniel from the power of the lions. So, Dan, so this Daniel prospered in the reign of Darius and in the reign of Cyrus the Persian. What an amazing story here. Here, here he is taken out and he's giving God glory and, and, and God has just done an amazing work. And yet the very people that tried to destroy this man are the ones that are, 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 are done in. And it just reminded me of the, the story of Esther where, where you have Haman who just wants to destroy this guy Mordecai and yet by the next day, Who's, who's dead and who's, who's still alive? Because 24 hours later, Daniel is out of the lion's den and these guys are thrown in. There's a couple of Proverbs that says, Proverbs 11 a uh, says, The righteous is delivered from trouble and it comes on the wicked instead. Proverbs 27, or 26, 27 says, He who digs a pit will fall in it and he who rolls a stone will have it rolled back on him. And, 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 and what we see here is like you go, man, but why the family? Why, why would the family have to suffer? Well, because sin affects not only you, it affects those around you. And it can destroy you and it can destroy people. And again, we see this, this thing that happens here that, that there's a man who finds favor because he is faithful. Because he believes in his God, that his, his God is able to deliver him from the hands of man. And yet we see the wicked, and the Proverbs are true. Man, if you go to shed blood, man, pretty soon it's going to come back on you. And so again, we see this amazing story, but what we see here is the praises or this new decree that King Darius writes to all the people, nations, and languages, and all these people. And he makes this decree and he makes this declaration about the God of Daniel, that he is the living God and steadfast forever. His kingdom is the one which shall not be destroyed. His dominion shall endure to the end, and he delivers and he rescues and he works signs and wonders. This is coming from a heathen king. <laughs> and my heart is that we would understand this, that we would declare these things because that's who our God is. He is the God that sees us through everything we ever have to go through. Amen. Father in heaven, we thank you and we praise you for this evening, Lord. We thank you for this portion of scripture that is powerful that reminds us, Lord God, that even the kings that don't know you, the, the heathen kings will, will somehow, Lord God, see your hand in their kingdoms. Lord, we don't quite understand why you allow things to happen, but you do. And yet, Lord God, we know that you see everything, you hear everything. You go before us and you come up behind us, Lord. Father, there's times that you rescue us from, from the situation. There's times that you allow us to go right through the middle. And Lord, as we see that, Lord, you allowed Daniel to go through this, this pit, Lord. Lord, you, you were with him in the midst of it. 
You were able to shut the mouths of the lions, Lord. And yet we see when the other people are thrown in, they can't even hit the ground before they're already destroyed. So we know your hand is upon this whole thing and it's upon our lives, Lord. Lord, when we continually seek your face, when we are faithful, Lord God, to stay right by your side, Lord, we see miracles like this happen in our lives because you are faithful and you are true. Your kingdom endures forever, Lord, in heaven and on earth, Lord. And you move things in our lives to get us through the things that we need to go through. And I pray for my brothers and sisters this evening that your hand would be upon them, that they would be reminded of your faithfulness, that when others come against them, Lord, you see it, you hear it, Lord. You take care of it. Lord, all we have to do is be faithful to you. We thank you for that, Lord, and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.